0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 212, and not only that, but today is the fifth anniversary of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. We have been discussing the Fellowship of the Ring together now for five years, and <laughs> uh, Uh, sorry it's hard it's i even i can't say that without laughing especially when i think about all the further we've come (laughs) we've it's been five years and we're still not out of rivendell Uh, we've been in rivendell how long has it been by the way How how long has it been since we've um since we've uh uh since we've been like i since we got past the fight of the ford basically i mean from the beginning from the first session of uh, of book 2 essentially must have been um must have been at least 2 years right since we've been in rivendell um i think that december 2019 wasn't that when we started the council of elrond i uh, Anyway, it was certainly before the pandemic. I think we've been discussing the. I think we discussed the 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 Council of Elrond during the entirety of of, of the pandemic, essentially. Um, But um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's it's um, yeah, Kurtzimus. I think uh, we're definitely going to take longer to discuss the book than Tolkien took writing it, which is saying something. Well, sort of. I mean a lot of the 17 year delay between the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings was sort of publication issues uh, there was some of that involved it wasn't just that it took him that long to actually write it but it took him a while um, anyway uh, but uh, this is uh, this is great fun. Uh, I am uh, so glad to have you guys I mean as I've said several times before this is um, this is this is the last. Lord of the Rings class. I'm ever gonna teach. Uh, I'm never gonna. I'm never. I'm never gonna do this again. Right. This is my last shot uh, at doing the Lord of the Rings. Uh, and so, darn it. We're gonna. There we go. Thank you. Draw Snake said many meetings began on March twelfth, twenty nineteen. So it has been uh, a while. Right. A little bit less than three years. Um, <laughs> a little bit less than three years uh, since we started, since we that we've been in Rivendell it's probably going to be fully three years <laughs> before we actually get out of Rivendell, I don't know, we'll see we'll see um, um, but you're right, uh, Gilgo80 if Elrond's ring is in fact altering time, who knows how long we've been in Rivendell, uh, yeah, so true so true Um that's right velari so velari has is one of those who has a child whose age uh pretty well marks the the beginning the beginning of class so so there we are her daughter was born the year we started uh and is what in kindergarten now velari right so there we go uh let's see uh let's see if we finish up the lord of the rings before she graduates from high school i'm not i'm not holding my breath on that one um But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's excellent. Um, um. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Anyway, so I wanted to um, uh, first just kind of, pause with you and kind of uh, uh, marvel at how much fun we've been having for the last five years. Uh, This has been awesome, and I am so looking forward uh, to spending every Tuesday night for the rest of my life uh, doing this uh, as we work our way through the Lord of the Rings together. This has been such a rich thing to do together, Um, and we want to make sure that this is not Merely ephemeral, if something that's going to last like 25 years could be called ephemeral. Um, What um, what we're, we've been talking on several occasions, you will remember that we have been discussing the possibility of putting together um, a digital project, a website. Um, And the idea is basically to kind of use these discussions, Um, we don't want to, we don't want to lose what we've been doing, especially due to the nature of what we've been doing. And what I mean by that is that one of the advantages, uh, of course, of going as slowly as we are is we get the opportunity to make lots and lots of observations, right? We're doing a very careful scrutiny. We're, we're noticing lots and lots of things as we go. This is an excellent thing to do. But of course, the challenge is that uh, we, you need to keep track of observations like this, right? And there have been many times when either I've said in the course of our discussions, or you know, it's kind of come up where we've said like, oh yeah, you know, we need to we need to keep track of this, right? We need we need to make sure that we keep coming back uh, to this particular question uh, as we uh, as we go through. So. Um, We've been wanting uh, to build, and I would love to have, there are a couple other functions that I can see a web page, you know, sort of a web project uh, serving for, in addition to just kind of helping to keep track of some of those things to kind of collect together our observations um, in order to facilitate further and later, um, you know, bringing together, right? I mean, uh, it, it is important to be able to back up from the observations once they've been made and to begin to synthesize them and to see patterns in them. And that, of course, given the number of observations we have made total, right, as we have gone through the text very slowly, there is, you know, almost infinite numbers of, you know, arguments and uh, patterns and discussions that could be had based on those observations. And that, to me, is the, is, the greatest legacy that I would love to see this class have for posterity, basically, that I think that we could build together. Um, the way that I've put it before is I have no, you know, there's, there's no even aspiration to say that we're going to answer, you know, every question about the You know, By the end of this, we're going to have the Lord of the Rings completely figured out. I mean, that would be absurd. Um, but what I would like to do, I don't think we'll have the answer to every question. But I would like to come as close as we can to asking every question about the Lord of the Rings that there is, right? Um, And I think we can do that. Basically, if we can put together, uh, if we can collect together the observations we've made and the thoughts that we've had and the questions that have been raised and create a space for people to be continuing to pose questions and to be continuing uh, to discuss things. And I know there are so many people who... Um, you know, have caught on to this after, you know, in, within the last five years, right? And have either uh, never caught up or have caught up and fallen behind again or whatever. Um, people who are listening asynchronously or watching asynchronously who want to contribute, right? Who have an observation that they want to say, but of course it's past three, you know, the live discussion has passed three years ago or whatever. Um, so having a place where people can uh, pitch in uh, there as well. Um, In addition, another function that I can see uh, for this is I would like to find a way through our web project to reduce, if possible, the barrier to entry as it's been five years right? There are five years, there are 212 sessions counting tonight, right? That's a lot of time. It's increasingly daunting uh, for people to try to catch up, and that's only going to get worse as the decades go by here uh, as, we're, as we're moving forward. Um, so I think it would be really cool um, if also through our web project, there were a way that we could help people kind of get caught up Right. Um, without necessary, I mean, if p- people want to, you know, watch all the way through. Like, that's cool, right? I'm th- I'm never saying that that's going to be like an inappropriate thing to do, but it might be pretty cool. Um, uh, to uh, it, it it might be pretty cool to uh, have to if we can kind of brainstorm ways in which we can uh, make it a little easier for people to kind of jump in and join us uh, as we um, as we go through. So anyway. There, there are lots of things that we can do, and I, I'm really interested to see what this could kind of grow to. So we've talked about this in the past. I wanted to bring it up today. My hope, we've been doing some thinking about this, um, and uh, next week I would like to introduce you to where we're going to be starting discussions about this and uh, what we're going to be. what you know what our sort of initial directions are, um, because this is, we're. This is happening, right? As one of, the, one of the exciting things, there are going to be several really exciting things happening in 2022. Uh, that is a, a foretelling has come upon me that there are going to be many exciting announcements in 2022. Um, and the first one is this, that we are going to be moving forward with this web project. Um, and next week, I am going to be uh, talking in a little bit more detail about that, but the, but before we get there, the thing that I wanted to say was several of you in the past have emailed me uh, saying that you are interested in volunteering and being a part of that, and that is awesome. You have not been forgotten. Uh, you have not been forgotten. Uh, I still have uh, the emails in which you have volunteered, and we're going to be getting back to you this week. Um, but the second thing I wanted to do is just to, to offer again to anyone who uh, uh, would like to be a part of that. If you are interested in helping out in some way or other uh, with the web project, um, we will need all different kinds of help uh, in various ways. So there will certainly be um, it will be a a, uh, a project uh, you know to which uh, you know many hands will uh, will have plenty of work to do. Um, so anyway, uh, if you are if you haven't emailed me before about this, but you would. Uh, be interested in volunteering for this, send me an email, corey.olson at signamu.org, and I will uh, include you in our initial list. Next week, I'm going to introduce you uh, to the wonderful person who is going to be coordinating uh, this event, because that was the very first thing that I needed, was somebody who would be willing to kind of coordinate this and get things moving forward, because I knew I was... Going to be a terrible bottleneck for that kind of thing if I were personally in charge of that. Um, so we have a we have a we have a project manager uh, coordinator who's going to be um, overseeing uh, the initial discussions and helping to kind of make assignments and uh, figuring out uh, who needs to do what and everything. So um, anyway, so I will I will introduce. Uh, our project manager next week, uh, and we'll kind of walk you through what the uh, initial plans are for that. But wanted to announce that, and if you guys wanted to, um, uh, if you guys, any any of you who wanted to help out with that, do send me an email, uh, and uh, I will get you connected there. Um, So that is the first, and as I say, not the last, of the very exciting announcements uh, that are going to be coming in 2022. even just within the Exploring the Lord of the Rings world. For one uh, other quick announcement from outside the Exploring the Lord of the Rings world, Um, Mithmoot, Nine is coming in June. Um if you haven't been to one of our Mythmoot conferences, you should really consider coming, either uh physically or digitally. It is a really, really wonderful event. Um Mythmoot is basically it's a a a, a big it's not a huge event, it's not like Comic Con or something. Um, but it's a it's a large event where you can get together. It is like um a fan conference combined with a scholarly conference, with uh, uh, just a delightful uh, kind of uh, spirit of friendship and family. Uh, it has been a wonderful um, time over the last almost decade now that we've been doing uh, Myth Moots. Um, but Myth Moot nine this year, you can see if you click on uh, the link signumuniversity.org dot org slash mythmoot. Uh, if you uh, go. Uh, to that, um, you can see we've posted our guests of honor, which which include, by the way, uh, Michael Drought is going to be there. I believe he's going to be there in person. Um, so for those of you who can attend physically, you'll get a chance to meet and hang out with Mike Drout. Um, and um, anyway, so I definitely encourage you to do that. And also another important announcement there, our early bird pricing on that has been extended through the end of January. So you have until the end of January now uh, to take advantage of our early bird pricing on that. And for those of you who have been to Mithmoots in years past, you'll notice that our uh, ticket prices have dropped significantly this year, uh, which I'm very excited about. I was uh, It was one of my goals for this year to see if we could... Um, to see how the budget was looking after last year, and if we could afford, and I was uh, really hoping that we'd be able to afford to lower the prices, and we could, so I was very excited about that. So um, you can enroll either physically or digitally um, if you want to come for uh, uh, digital attendance. For those of you who did digital attendance in years past, um, we used to have two different levels of digital attendance, um, and I just we I, we'd, I combined those. This year, so the, the and the reason we did that was again because we were able to lower the rates. Like basically, we was able to lower the rates of the the higher level to the same price as the lower level. So I'm like, let's just it's all one level now. Um, and yeah, uh, deadline for paper proposals. I don't know what the deadline is, JJ. I forgot about that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know the deadline. Uh, yes, I do. Wait, yes, March twenty fifth. That's it, March twenty fifth. A date to be noted. Yes, March 25th, which should be easy enough to remember, right? Uh, so uh, proposal. the deadline for proposals is Gondorian New Year. Um, <laughs> Dima says she was so excited she accidentally registered twice. It can happen. I mean, you can get carried away, right? I mean, that... Uh, uh, that could uh, that could totally happen, and De la Mancha, I love hanging out with folks at Mithmoot. Uh, really enjoy the chance to get to hang out and talk to folks around the fire pits outside at meal times uh, in sessions and uh, it's really uh, it's really it's really cool um, so uh, uh, Matt from Wisconsin guideline for paper proposals there 's some information there, but there we have a wide range of uh, papers that are presented here, and it's not necessarily... All of them, they needn't all necessarily be a formal, like old-fashioned conference paper presentation. We have a lot of people who present traditional papers, but um, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's very cool. Oh, Dan, you're coming too? Oh man, from the UK? That's fantastic. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. So that's um um, that's definitely. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I've been really, that we're, it's located in Leesburg, Virginia. That's where our physical location is. And one of the reasons I've really liked that venue is that it's very convenient um, from, uh, you know, basically it's almost as easy to get to D.C. from, uh, from Europe as it is from, like, California. Um, so it, it's, it's worked out pretty well for folks who have been traveling uh, uh, across the ocean before. So I hope that that will work out pretty well. Um but um yeah, anyway, so definitely uh, looking at the dates of course to the last weekend in June, uh is our that's been our traditional date uh, for Myth Moot, and we're going to be keeping to that again this year. So, I just wanted to encourage you because Myth Moot is uh, is awesome. We have our regional moots, which have been which are great great opportunities for local folks in different places to uh, to get together and hang out and discuss. And and uh, of course, our uh, hybrid moots have been wonderful. Um, but MythMoot is is the big thing, right? Uh, uh, the the regional moots are are but a taste of what we get uh, at MythMoot when we're all together for, you know, well, it's not all of four days. Uh, it's uh, it's like two days and then a half day on either side, essentially. Um, uh, so from Thursday, like Thursday afternoon and evening uh, through Sunday afternoon uh, of that week. So, yeah, Evil Doctor Cannon. Um, the, there is an indefinite word on TexMoot. We have been we've been really struggling with venues uh, at TexMoot. Um, uh, in Austin, Texas, is where we've been looking to to have it, and we've been like negotiating with different venues forever there. Um, and in the end, I think we are going to have to postpone it. We don't have a definite reschedule date. It's not going to be just like we're not canceling it, but we are. Gonna have to push it for there have been a bunch of things that have been kind of different factors in the challenge there. Um, but uh we're definitely I'll get back to you when we have a definite thing, but I think we originally it was the beginning of February that we were looking at for that, and I think we're gonna have to push that back uh a little bit. So um yeah. Cool. All right. Um anyway, um uh yes. Yes, lots of fun stuff there. Okay, but let us get. We have some serious business to do because here on this fifth anniversary of the beginning of exploring The Lord of the Rings, I can think of no more appropriate way to celebrate our fifth anniversary than to do stanza three of Bilbo's farewell poem, right? Uh, it is time to get back to poetry. Um, so, let's begin by rereading the first two stanzas uh, because it's been we, for those of I know that for those of you who are like you know binging this at a future date It might not, there might not be much of a gap, but for those of us doing it live, it's been like three or four weeks uh, since we last had class. So um, I'm going to read through the first three. Well, I'll read through the first two. We'll recall just a few of the things that we were noticing about that. And then we'll, uh, uh, so that we can kind of think about how those first two stanzas have shaped our expectations, perhaps, uh, for stanza three. And then we'll uh, jump into stanza three. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen, of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, of yellow leaves and gossamer and autumns that there were, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. Okay, so uh, we notice the very regular sound patterns, right, the very regular meter and rhythm of the poem, right? The very standard iambs, um, not in straight-up Hobbit meter, um, which is iambic tetrameter, right? It's not just iambic tetrameter all the way through, it's alternating between iambic tetrameter and iambic iambic trimeter, right? The four-beat line and the three-beat line. Um, all of which, he pauses to make sure that this sentence is true, yes it is, all of which flow together, right? Each Each pair of lines Four beat line, three beat line, four beat line, three beat line, um, are in jammed together so that it creates the sound, um, it creates the sound of a single seven foot line, right? It's not a single seven foot line. And we've been looking at some of the ways in which the division between those lines becomes important, especially in that second stanza. Whoops, sorry. Accidentally, I seem to have hit a wrong button there, um, especially in that second stanza with the introduction of that other rhyme, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but, okay, so we, we, we've seen that. We've been looking at some of the other sound patterns that we can notice, especially the shape of alliteration and the way in which he's playing with the sounds in some of the lines. In particular, we noticed that not only... Um, is the rhythm just very regular in uh, in both stanzas. It's in several of the lines absolutely perfect, unvarying um, iambic meter, right? But in addition, we've also been noticing um, the parallels between the last two lines of the first two stanzas and the first two lines of the second stanza, of the first stanza, and the last two lines of the first stanza, first two lines of the second stanza, right? Of meadow flowers and butterflies in summers that have been, of yellow leaves and gossamer in autumns that there were. Um, Those two line groups are almost perfectly, exactly parallel, right? Both starting with of, right, and including a two word phrase meadow flowers and yellow leaves and we even talked about the way in which those contain sort of elongating sound patterns meadow flowers, right? The oh wow in meadow flowers and the yellow leaves, right? All those liquids in the second one uh, has a similar effect, right? We have the butterflies and the gossamer Um, and then of course in summers and in autumns and that there that have been and that there were, um, so the, those two line groups um, are being almost exactly parallel, has created this um, almost this nearly not quite mirrored shape to these first two stanzas, right? Um, uh, so that's interesting, and of course the um, uh, the. Internal rhyme, as I say, the in- the addition of that internal rhyme. The first stanza has only one rhyming pair, right at the end of the third line, at the end of the f- at the sorry, at the end of the second line, at the end of the fourth line, um, seen and being, um, and no other rhyme. Some other. Um, some other patterns, as we said, some assonance and especially some alliteration, um, but no other rhyme, whereas that second stanza has the very prominent gossamer and that there were rhyme between lines one and two for which there is no parallel uh, in that first stanza, and that seems to suggest a change. Things Things are turning, right? And that would seem to be even further emphasized, as we discussed last time, by the weakening of By the weakening of the rhyme in the second stanza, the "whirr" and "hair" rhyme, which almost rhymes but doesn't quite rhyme, even if you say it um, with a British accent and not an American. It it certainly doesn't rhyme in an American accent, but it still doesn't even really rhyme um, in a a British accent either. Um, So, uh, though it comes a little closer, it's still not. Certainly, as strong a rhyme as seen and been. bean is of course how you would pronounce that, so seen and been in an American accent doesn't rhyme um but that is just an accident uh, that is an accident of America uh and has nothing to do with the in, with the with the line itself um We were talking a little bit um uh bjorning about um the way that we get that that closing rhyme in lines one and two of the second stanza do seem to kind of trigger this extra dilation on autumn, right? We get those extra two lines, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. Um, and we were noticing also that, it fe- that, that those two lines also feature the return of the speaker, right? The, the return of the first person perspective, which had been almost forgotten in those middle four lines, right? Of meadow flowers and butterflies and summers that have been, of yellow leaves and gossamer and autumn's that there were. Um, in all of those things, the speaker doesn't appear whatsoever. It's just about the observations. And the absence of the speaker would seem to be emphasized by the verbs Themselves, summers that have been, autumns that there were, right? As if they, they just, these are things that just existed, right? Um, he, he could. That's where the speaker could very well have. In fact, in some ways, it would seem more natural for him to say something like, um, uh, "In summers, you know, I have seen." I know he wouldn't say that because he just said, "I have seen" in line two. Like that would be. Uh, a crappy poetry, but, but you see what I mean? Like it would be natural to insert yourself as the, the subject of that, the, the viewer there. Right. Um, um, but he doesn't do it right. Instead, he just ha- he just states that, that have been, that there were in these kind of objective uh, objective ways. Um, we also were looking and I love, this was observations that you guys were making that I had totally, um, uh, missed myself um, especially the observations you guys were making about gossamer uh, and the relationship when we were looking at the parallels between meadow flowers and butterflies and summers that have been and yellow leaves and gossamer and autumns that there were you guys were pointing out that the gossamer of course is almost certainly a reference to spider webs right spider webs uh, on the bushes and trees um, which of course, are calculated to capture and kill the butterflies, just like the spider webs in the top of the tree that Bilbo climbed uh, in Mirkwood, in The Hobbit, right? Where the spiders were explicitly targeting the butterflies, uh, the black monarchs uh, that Bilbo was seeing there. Um, it is still, it is not like an ominous or chilling or, you know, it's not like all of a sudden we're talking about death, right? It's still beautiful, um, colorful and gorgeous and glimmering, um, morning mist and silver sun with the, the rich and heavy alliteration in that line, right? Um, uh, with the morning mist, of course, uh, bringing us back to the gossamer. And yet, um, you know, what are, uh, Black Emperors, what the, did I say Black Monarchs? Yeah, you're right, Black Emperors, sorry. Wrong butterfly species I should be ashamed uh anyway um so uh but yeah so with that with that with those notes especially the morning mist and the silver sun um uh thinking about the you know the 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 cold autumn sun at dawn and that kind of thing um, and the gossamer um so it's all beautiful right, and yet we do see this this change from uh from growing living things uh even uh yeah, from growing and living thing, like from, from things living to things dying, right? Um, so I think that that's um, um, that's cool. And Cook of Wood and Minor, I absolutely agree that I don't think that the uh, the death thing precludes beauty. I definitely don't think that. Um, I'm just saying that the fact that we were that trend that we were looking at of like shifting from. Uh, from life to death, from growing to dying, um, d- doesn't necessarily to me sound like it would be easy to imagine. Having said that, right, that we're suggesting that the trend of the poem on the whole is like away from away from beauty and towards like grimness, right, or towards uh, again ominousness or or something like that. And I don't think so. I mean, I think that that second stanza, in its way, is every bit as beautiful, and certainly every bit uh, sort of reveling to the same extent, right, in the beauty of things, as that first stanza was. But in its way, right? And that way in which it is observing the beauty is just a different way, right? Um, it's focused on different things. Because um, Emily, well, you're right. Death is a part of life, and not all tears are evil. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Now... With all of this in mind, let's move on to the next stanza. And here's the thing that I'm going to be interested Now, we've been noticing, of course, obviously, the seasonal trend, right? From summers to autumns. So we're expecting to see winter, and, I, and we shan't be disappointed, right, in the third stanza. We're going to get winter in the third stanza. But how's that going to work? How is this going to fit in? So um, these first two stanzas have been so closely paired together. Um, so closely reflecting each other that I'm all in suspense about how not just like where his thought is gonna be going, but where is the shape of this poem gonna be going in Stanza 3? Um are we gonna start another little diptych there, like another little two-fold uh shape there? Um or are we uh not going to? What's let us, let us see. It's time to end the suspense, finally, after weeks uh, and get back to, to stanza three. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Okay. First of all, what do we notice? As always, let's start where do we start, right? With the sound. Um, what do you notice about this? What differences do you notice? Having gone through two stanzas now, we have, again, we have some clear expectations, right? We've seen patterns emerge. What do we get? What do we get? For now, sound first now. Sound first. So we'll think about winter and spring, but it is not yet, right? First, the sound and the this, this shape of the sound. Same starting line, JJ, right? That's the very first thing we notice is that we are going back to the beginning, right? We clearly go back to the beginning. So again, if we're asking the question, so having seen the way that those first two stanzas, you know, make this symmetrically kind of like internally jointed, uh, you know, uh, symmetrical folding thing, you know, that's why I'm using the diptych uh, analogy there. Um, it seems possible that we're starting a new one, right? And and we're starting it in the same way. I sit beside the fire and think, line one stanza three identical in every way to line one of stanza one. Right, so we're 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 starting in what begins to sound like a refrain, right? Um, so that's that's good. That's that's important. Uh, Björning, absolutely. We still are retaining the super regular im's. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be totally perfect even I am's. When winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Perfect. All four lines. Not a single aberration. In fact, I would say less aberration, I think, um, than we got before. We didn't have much before, but I think there's even less. I think it's, if anything, it's even more regular than before. Um. Okay, okay. Um, but there are differences. There are differences. Again, just this rhythmic shape. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. We do go back to the rhyme on 2 and 4 again, Kit, which is just like stanza 1. Right. So that again, and also a really strong rhyme, simple but strong. B, C, right? No more of this were hair business, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Good. Um, uh, you guys are really wanting to talk about the alliteration, which I agree is really important. Um, but before we get there, I want to finish talking about the rhythm. Um, one of you had, uh, an observation about this, um, uh, I'm forgetting which one of you it was, but notice, uh, we, we get a little, uh, a cheating visual cue, right, which kind of prompts and directs us. Um, I think I read it a little bit wrong the first time. And the reason I read it a little bit wrong, so here's how I read it the first time, which was a little bit wrong. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. That was a little bit wrong. How it really goes is like this. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Hear the difference? What did I do without thinking about it? Because of the expectation that was built by those first two syllables. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Velconendil. Great, yeah. Velconendil. Exactly. Lines two and three are in jammed. I paused, right? I paused after line two, because we paused before line, or no, sorry, before line three, after line two. I paused after line two, but in the middle of the stanza. I paused in the middle of the stanza, right? Um, Because we've been pausing in the middle of the stanzas, because that's clearly how the first two stanzas were shaped. But it's not. There's no punctuation there. That's the visual cheating cue that we get, right? There's a comma at the end of line two, um, in the first two stanzas, um, and a fuller stop at the end of the stanza, semicolon in stanza one period at the end of stanza two. Um, there's no comma at the end of line two in the third stanza, and we can see that syntactically speaking the lines bear that. It's not just an accident. It's not just an oversight, right? Um, it wasn't just like too lazy to put a comma at the end of this, right? Look at how that matches with the ideas and the syntax the, 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 the grammatical structure of those lines in the first two stanzas, right? I sit beside the fire and think this is what I'm doing and then I'm telling you what I'm thinking about. And then I'm telling you something else that I'm thinking about, right? So it's like a list, right? Of all that I have seen of meadow flowers and butterflies and summers that I've been, you know, that's 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 the stuff that I've been seeing, right? And the second one of yellow leaves and gossamer and autumns that there were. That, by the way, that's also what I've been seeing, right? Um, with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. all of those things are, as we were sh- saying, these are all phrases that are referring back to. I sit beside the fire and think, right? Of what? Right? About what? And we get this essentially long list and separated, right, by those commas. That's not how that third stanza works at all. I sit beside the fire and think... We start the same way. I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes. You see the difference there? He doesn't say of how the world will be. Of winter... Right? Like, I'm going to start a new series of images like I did before about summer and about fall. No, he says when winter comes without a spring, of how the world will be when winter comes. It's one complete thought. You can't separate them. It's not a list of all that I have seen of meadowflowers and butterflies in summers that have been. Right? This is different. It's one subordinated thought of how the world will be when winter comes. That's what he's thinking about. He's thinking about how the world will be when winter comes. Oh, I mean, when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. The whole thing is this series of subordinated clauses, right? Um, But all of which are essential to the meaning. It's not just a list, it's not just a series of this. Of the, you know, and think of all that I have, and think of all that I have seen. Of this, of that, of you know, with the other thing, right? Um, that's how the logic of those first two stanzas work. This is a completely different logic. Each one changes. Well, I don't know if changes the sentence is exactly right, but further defines it, right? Of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. It's one single thought in the same way, in, in, a, in, a, in a different way than we've seen in the others. And this too, yes, uh, they're like nested clauses, not sister clauses. It's a good way to think about it, Dolores Stroke. I agree. Um, um, Almiraya, that's a really interesting way to say it. He anticipates the world moving on the same without him, without a pause. Yeah, uh, it, is there a sense, Almorea, of... Um, this stanza kind of tumbles along like that in the way that time is moving along without pauses right into the future. Um, Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that's a good way to think about it. Um, And of course, we see a period at the end of the stanza. Now, that wouldn't be striking, except. Remember, one of my questions was structurally speaking, what are we gonna get in stanza three? Do we get the first half of another pairing? And my answer would appear to be no. No, we get a period there. We got a semicolon at the end of stanza one. Stanzas one and two are one sentence, right? One sentence, one continuous thought. The sentence is done at the end of stanza three. So whatever the relationship may be between stanza three and stanza four, which is on the next slide, and so we can't see it, which is great, actually. I love the way that builds suspense here. Um, uh, whatever the relationship between stanza three and four may be, it's not going to be the same as the relationship between stanza one and two. So a cha- change has come. Change has come to the poem. We don't even need to under... To, we, we've not even paid attention to the words, right? Um, but we can, we can hear and feel already, just in the rhythm of the lines, as supported and evidenced also um, with the visual cue of the punctuation. We can see that um, the movement is not the same. This is clearly not just the same pattern. Um, Now, more. We're still not there. as i i I hate to I always hate to feel like i'm um, holding you guys back, but I want to hold you guys back um, uh, leaping ahead to some really fascinating interpretive stuff, but we 're not there yet. more on the sound uh, we've seen this before, right you see how much richer it is to think about the words and what the stanza is actually saying once we have this feeling for the, uh, the, the, the sound shape of the stanza first, right? Okay, so now let's talk about the other sounds. You guys wanted to talk about the alliteration and I totally agree. Um, now, someone, and I forget who was pointing this out before, we do get an interesting, not quite rhyme, half rhyme? Think and spring don't rhyme. Yeah, Corey, you were just saying this again there. Yeah, it's it's not quite a rhyme, but it's a lot closer than we've had on one in three of any other stanza. Think butterflies, gossamer, sun, think spring. That's a difference, right? It's not as striking as the gossamer that there were, like, whoa, internal rhyme. It's not exactly internal, but internal if you think of it as that like seven-footed thing, right? Um, uh, it's not quite as dramatic as that, but it is interesting. I mean, this is almost but not quite an A B A B rhyme scheme, right? It isn't yet, but it it's it start. It's almost like it's like evolving into that, right? Um, it does have technically the same rhyme scheme as stanza one, so like the repetition. Of the first line suggests we're kind of we kind of go back to the sound frame of that first verse uh, in several ways, and I so it's yeah I mean we don't get there's no gossamer were right there's no more line one two rhyme, Um, but think and spring begins to move in this interesting kind of um, um, uh, direction right. yeah, yeah. Um the assonance does augment the regularity of the IMs. Um, it's an assy thing Uh yeah, is that Narnia reference there, uh, I think, uh, Gil Dallowin. Um you're not supposed to you're not supposed to ask Eustace what an what it, what an assonance is, right? He's just begging to be asked. I love that I love that I love almost everything about Eustace, one of my favorite characters in all of Narnia. Um uh <laughs> but anyway, um yeah, yeah, it is. It is an assonance. Uh, it is an assonance that is almost a rhyme. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, now, but I agree with what several of you were saying before um, that uh, the alliteration kind of comes into its own here, right? Think about the uh, the uh, the patterns of alliteration we've seen before. There have been some uh, kind of like thematic sounds. Uh, the s's in stanza one that we were observing. I sit beside the fire and think of all that I have seen. Um, it's not. It doesn't blow you out of your chair, right? Um, but the sit beside. the and seen there in that first, in those first two lines, um, uh, and then picked up again with the summers, right, as as like an anticipation of summers uh, there at the end, and then we were of course last time talking uh, about the very striking pairings that we get there in the second stanza with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. In fact. If we were, if you go back a little bit further, autumns that there were with morning mist and silver sun, we were looking at how you've got six out of seven words in a row which alliterate in pairs, right? Um, So we got that very striking alliteration leading up to the end uh, of that first stanza pairing. How does it work here? Well, we get the first. Same first line, right? So the sounds in the first line are identical, so we still get the sit-beside thing. But notice how the S is, we don't get the S, we, you know, we don't get the scene, right? There's no S sound in line two. We don't really get a, an S sound at the beginning of a syllable, of a stressed syllable, right? Until spring. And then C at the end, right? Spring that I shall ever see. Um. So we begin and end, right? The S's kind of frame this stanza, right? I sit beside the fire and think of how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Sit beside and spring see at the end, right? Uh, kind of frame it. But it transforms, Matt, I think you were the one who was saying that it kind of um, it kind of transforms into the W's, right? And we, we, we kind of plunge into the W's and just stay there for the longest stretch of any alliteration we've had in this entire poem so far, of how the world will be when winter comes. World will be when winter comes without a spring, right? Five W's, right, at the beginning of words, in the span of, what, five, five W's in seven words? world will be when winter comes without. Um, that's we have not have anything like that, right? Um, and the kind of the the turning point what initiates it is world, right? Of how the world will be. Um, the rest of it, as we said, is unlike the first stanzas. It's not just like parallel lists or something. It's it's subordinated, and it's, it's, it's all one continuous thought. But it is all, like the last two lines are all kind of clarifying and specifying the first one, right? Which, so again, I want to think a little bit more about this for a second. Well, no, I don't yet. I will think about that a little bit more in a moment. Um, but of how the world will be. Um, When? Right, like uh, just like in general, like what exactly about the world are you thinking? So it's like we're, we're going to expand on the world, um, and he does it with all W's, right? The world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see, um, and when we get back to the S's, notice we leave the W's, right? The after without, once we get to spring, back to the S's, there are no more W's, right? Um, when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see, um, and you'll notice how we get another callback to that first stanza, right? Um, I was talking about how we get you know, those those the the, repeti- the repeated first line sets us up sets us up with those s's again, but it delays the like return of the s's until the end, but framing the whole thing as I said. But notice how it also repeats the line not quite right i sit beside the fire and think of all that i have seen stanza one i sit beside the fire and think of all this stuff uh without a spring that i shall ever see right of all that i have seen that i shall ever see right um line four is very similar to line two, obviously very different as well, right? Um, but it recalls that line two, but it's so it's all stretched out, right? Uh, and what comes in between, right? What gets added between he's still sitting beside the fire and thinking about the issue of himself and seeing things, right? Um, but it's very changed, right? What comes in between is all those W's, right? Um, How the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. I've seen lots of summers, I've seen autumns. The spring, there will be a spring that I shall not, that I never shall see, right? but notice, I'm kind of segueing to leave the sound behind, and I, 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 I don't want to be sloppy with that. Let me, let me hang on a second. Remind me to talk about negatives in a moment. But, um, anything else? Anything else we should notice? Again, just about the sound, the sound of the words, the sound of the letters, other assonance, rhyme, uh, I'm still not quite sure what to do with the rhyme. I think I, we might have to see, see stanza four before I can come to any real conclusions about think and spring um, and the relationship there. I'm not really sure what to do with that yet, um, but maybe after we look at the next stanza maybe we'll see that a little bit better. Um, but um, Okay. But I agree that the dominating W's, alliterating in the middle is for sure, the, uh, the seems to me, the really dominant, um, I would say even more important to the ear than the think and spring near rhyme. Um, Yeah, yeah. And good, oh, Matt, that's really important. Um, B and C is a truncated reversal of stanzas one rhyme scheme. Yeah seen bean stands a 1 b c stands a 3 right very good right the tense is different and we'll talk about verb tense in a moment too um but the words the the it's the same it's the the only dominant rhyme right we do get that slant rhyme but it's the only dominant rhyme um and it's it's reversed it's reversed um, what does it mean well Matt, we're going to see if we can fit that into the overall shape here. Um, so, let's let's look at this. The thing I was just, um, um, ooh, Bloody Inspire, that's interesting. That the W sounds have been growing through the three stanzas. That is fascinating. Yeah. We get very little W in stanza one. Meadow flowers is really the only place where we get the W's there, and none of them are at the start of a syllable, of any syllable, right? They're apparent because of the way that the the meadow flowers draws it out, right? We can hear the W's, but they're not initial W's, even in the middle of a word at the beginning of a syllable, right? They're not even, we don't get that at all anywhere. in stanza one, but then in stanza, but we do so we do hear a little bit of uh, we, we get a hint of W in stanza one, in stanza two, in the middle of that we get the uh, were with morning mist and silver sun and wind upon my hair. Right, we get the the were with which launches the main alliteration morning mist and silver sun, and then we get the wind in the last stanza. Right, picking up on that again, and then uh, stanza three, the Ws take over, right? Five of them in seven words there uh, in lines two and three of the stanzas. So that's great. I That's a really cool pattern. That's fun. Um, okay. Now, here's the observation I was just about to make as we allow ourselves to think about the words uh, and the images now um, and what exactly he's talking about. The observation I was going to make is that he doesn't use negatives. When I was kind of Trying to summarize or paraphrase that last line, I said, uh, "Talk about him, him not seeing a spring." But "not" is a word he doesn't use, which I think is interesting, right? Um, when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see, I mean, it is negative. He's talking about a spring that he won't see, um, but he doesn't, um, he doesn't use. He's not talking about what he hasn't seen. He's talking about the spring is going to be. And notice how that's just like the summer and the autumn, right? Summers that have been, autumns that there were. He happened to be there to see those, but they, they just were, right? It wasn't about him. It was about the autumns and the summers, right? Um, the way in which he structures those, uh, those uh, the verbs especially, right, um, leaving himself out as a subject of those of those clauses there, um, seems to me to be echoed in the way that he talks about the spring, without a spring that I shall ever see. It's, it's going to happen, spring, right? Um, it'll still have been, right, when it comes and goes, but he won't say it and Bjorning in exile you're right he doesn't say never like right? that 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 kind of thing um, uh, that's exactly the thing that I think is important it will be for someone I agree Eric. someone is going to be seeing it right somebody might be writing a different poem years later in which they're reflecting on the things that they saw in that spring it just won't be him right um, yeah yeah um, when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see um, Yes, yes. Um, The other thing I cannot help but notice what might be the most shocking departure. It's a big statement. Look at the imagery. It's a trick question. There isn't any, right? That is, the first two stanzas, we've gotten line after line, right? We got six lines in a row of almost nothing but primarily visual, sometimes tactile, right? With the wind upon my hair. Um, but um, all this imagery, right? And we get none of it here. Drowsnake, exactly, because he won't see it. He won't see it. Um, He's now thinking about both, notice, the winter and the spring. Neither of them gets any imagery. We, you know, we got meadow flowers and butterflies in summer. We got yellow leaves and gossamer in autumn. um, And plus a bonus morning mist and silver sun. Um, We get nothing. We could get all kinds, you know, we could do some stuff, right? We could see some, there's things to be seen in winter, Right he's not even thinking about winter. He's not even, like, thinking about what the winter might be, even if it's, like, the last one that he sees. Right? He, he he could have done that. Right? He could have given us some winter imagery, but he doesn't give us any winter imagery. And he certainly is going to give us any spring imagery there, because, as Drawsnake points out, he's not going to see it. Right? Um... And Michael, I agree, he doesn't remember Visions of Winter. Now, he has an excuse. He could do it, give imagery for both of them. Because it stands to reason that if he's seen a whole bunch of summers and autumns before, he's seen a winter and a spring or two in the past, right? So he could have done that. He could have been like, and then winter will come, and then spring will come. I trust, right? And I've seen lots of springs, which have looked in this beautiful in this way, right? Like with the meadow flowers and butterflies and whatever, right? Um, he could have given us more. He could have given us winter imagery and spring imagery, even if he had done so in a way which was saying that, like, next time around, I'm not going to see that, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't do. He doesn't do any of that. It is a very significant shift. It tells us, and I agree, um, uh, yeah, uh, Emily, I was thinking a very similar way to what you were saying there, um, that um, the summers and autumns are literal, right? Like he's remembering summers and autumns that have been, but the winter and spring seem more like figurative stages of his life. Um, Yes, Yes. Um, Notice he's not thinking about winter and spring. He was thinking about summer, of all that I have seen. Item, summers, item, autumns, right? Those are all things that he, that's what he was thinking about, the things that he has seen. That's not what he's thinking about here. He's not thinking about winter, nor is he thinking about spring. That's one of the other consequences of the syntactic change in this stanza, right? He's no longer just giving us a list of things that he's seen. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about the world, about how the world will be when winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. He's not thinking about winter or spring. He's thinking about the world and specifically how the world will be when that time comes. right? Um, And so he's not thinking about winter and spring, and so we get no winter or spring imagery, right? So what exactly is he thinking about? Well, here I would notice that, oh yeah, so I do not think that winter is the frame of reference of this poem. I don't think that's exactly right because um, notice he's still speaking of winter, when winter comes. That's still in the future. Right? It hasn't happened yet. He's not like I sit beside the fire and think of how the world now is since winter's here. Right? That's not what he's saying. How the world will be future. When winter comes, as it will, right? Um, wait, which winter? The winter without a spring that I shall ever see, right? But all of that's in the future. Whole thing's in the future, which would suggest that his frame of reference is autumn, and which also, by the way, helps us to understand even better, why did he dilate on that? Why do we have four lines of autumn, right? Um uh, and we were, again, looking at the shape and the, 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 the symmetrical structure of stanzas one and two. The way We're looking at the way in which lines three and four of stanza two correspond or kind of connect back to lines one and two with the reintroduction of the speaker, well, his hair, anyway, uh, in that last line. But, um, but it helps to make even kind of more sense of it. it. It sort of seems, in a sense, to kind of root him in Autumn, Um. Perhaps literally, but Emily, here I'm thinking again of the terms that you were introducing before Uh, literally, right? Both literally and figuratively. He's in his figurative autumn as well. He's anticipating when winter comes, right? Um, But um, it's not yet for him, right? So it's still autumn. Winter's still in the future. Um, There will come a winter in which uh, a winter without a spring that I shall ever see. Um, But, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. And, uh, yeah. um, Al I agree um, that um, how he observes the world, but it's not about him. Um, yes, and notice, Almeria, that that pattern remains in stanza three. He's still not thinking about himself, and it's not just because again, it's it's not about the negatives, right? If he said, "I will never," or "I will not," or whatever, "I shall not," or whatever, then again, he's talking about himself. What you know negatively, like what he won't do, but he's not talking about that. He's just talking about the spring it's that spring that he's interested in right except wait it's not the it's not the spring what is it that he's interested in the first stanza he starts thinking of all that I have seen the second stanza he's thinking about how the world will be it's the world the future state of the world the rest of it is qualification and explanation, right? Those subordinating clauses which tumble in um, in order to clarify the framework of the world that he's thinking about. He's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about death, right? He's not thinking about his departure. He's not even thinking about the fact that he's not going to see these springs or that spring, right? Whatever that spring shall be. What he's thinking about is when that comes what will that world look like how will the world be when winter comes without a spring that i shall ever see he's imagining the world without him just as he was seeing the world which was being and which were right this the, the autumns that there were um uh without him you see what i mean there's still he's still a pretty distant observer, and in the third stanza becomes real distant, right? as he himself has literally dropped out of the picture, or he's imagining the time when he will have dropped out of the picture. Um, woohoo, I just used the future, perfect, my favorite tense. Um, uh, yeah, yeah.. Um. Now, one of you was asking before. And I forget who. One of you was asking before, is there any sense in which, something along the lines, is there any sense in which he's not just talking about himself? Um, Could there be something even more ominous in this? Um, A winter that comes without a spring, full stop, right? I mean, Look, we are at this point in the story facing the very real possibility that Sauron's going to win and darkness is going to fall upon Middle-earth, right? Um, And that would be kind of like winter coming without a spring period, right? Um, Is there a hint of that in this paragraph, you know, in this stanza? It's possible. One of the reasons that I find that reading kind of tempting myself is I cannot get out of my head. The little title of of the class here today, When Winter Comes, the Winter Wild. Anybody recognize the quote? Not from this, when winter comes, right, is repeated in this stanza, but that's why I couldn't help but think of it. Who says that? When winter comes, the winter wild. It isn't Bilbo. Katriana, exactly. It's tree treebeard. This is the ent song, which is also seasonal, right? And by the way, fascinating comparison. I think what. Um, and by the way, how many paper topics for Mythmoot have we stumbled across here and there? You know, thousands of Mythmoot paper topics in uh, uh, in these conversations. And my goodness, uh, a comparison between the. Elvish Ent and Entwife song, which Treebeard sings for the Hobbits, and Bilbo's seasonal song here would be very cool, right? That would be very cool. Very interesting. And in that poem, when Treebeard is relaying the Ents, in the Elvish Ent song, um, um, in the Elvish Ent song, Yeah. Oh, Sharon, I totally agree. Uh, Our web project should totally include an index of paper topics, like uh, an index of, like, you know, essays or conference papers that should get written sooner or later, right? Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, boy, just think, our Exploring the Lord of the Rings project could be supplying generations and generations of future, like, College students with paper topics on Tolkien, uh, you know, for like a century to come. Um, but anyway, in the ant poem, the winter stanza. I don't want. <laughs> this is a risk. Uh, I don't want to get into a whole analysis of the ant poem, but I can't help it. As some of you know, I wrote an article on this. this is actually, my very first Tolkien publication ever uh, was the article I wrote on the um, uh, on the ant poem, and. The winter stanza of the ant poem is extremely striking because, of course, as you may remember, the ant and the ant wives are going back and forth and they're both bragging about the seasons in their place um, spring, summer, fall, and then we get to winter. The ant, um, anyway, but when we get to winter, the winter that's coming, we're no longer talking about the seasonal round of the year. The winter. Uh, When winter comes, uh, the winter wild, which wood and hill shall slay. Wood and hill shall slay. Um, uh, When trees shall fall and uh, starless night devour the sunless day. Starless night devour the sunless day. We're not talking about garden variety winter here. This is an apocalyptic stanza. They're talking about the end of the world, when the forests and the very hills are going to die, when the starless night shall devour the sunless day. Um it's um I mean the song shifts in the winter stanza to contemplate the end of the world. That's where the Ent and antwife's song ends. Well again, the elf song about the ants and the antwife. Um as Treebeard explains in his pro-synopsis of it. But, because of the parallel and the same phrase, when winter comes, right, which also starts a line, uh, this starts the whole stanza, actually, in the Ant song, I could not help but think of that uh, when I got to this stanza. And um, so it's tempting. That's why I'm tempted. I'm tempted to think about this not only in a, Kind of personal reflection, sort of mode from Bilbo, but in a, um, a prophetic mode, right? If you see what I mean, like thinking about um, at least having a kind of an overlay um, of um, uh, an overlay of uh, of thinking of the condition of the world, thinking of the possibility. Um, I'm thinking about um, it makes me think suddenly of Faramir and Eowyn on the walls of Minas Tirith. Um, Thinking about darkness unending coming upon them, right? Is that a thought in Bilbo's mind here as well? Is that one of the things he's saying about the fire and thinking? about? And and it would fit with how the world will be. Um, If it's not only him that will not see the spring, but nobody will ever see a spring again, right? It's not only about the end of his life, uh, as he is in his autumn time. Um, but, um, that, uh, um, but if there is, again, at least a sense in which he's thinking about that larger thing as well. Uh, no, I don't think, um, that uh, Bilbo would have heard that Elvish song about the Ents, um, as he certainly has not met Treebeard, and I'm not sure that even the Elves remember that song that Treebeard remembers. Um, But, um, uh, yeah, yeah. um, So no, my point isn't that Bilbo would know that song, specifically. I'm just saying that Tolkien knows that song, (laughs) and the fact that his that other poem, right? Tolkien's mind went there. When winter comes was the signal of him thinking in that kind of a, uh, that kind of um, apocalyptic way. In that other poem, is that same thing happening here? Especially since the image of winter coming without a spring, like that line all by itself, "When winter comes without a spring," sounds apocalyptic too, right? I mean, game over. When winter comes without a spring then game over for the world right like that's that's what the, the you know the the cycle breaks at that point now he qualifies it one last time in that fourth line right that I shall ever see it's not about necessarily about the whole thing um, but is there a glimmer of that I don't know I am a little bit dubious about that I like it as a concept I can't help but kind of contemplate the idea, at least kind of weigh it and consider it, and try to see if it fits. But I'm not convinced that it fits. Um, mostly because it would be a pretty big departure from the... De- now, we are we are departing, right? It is possible that this poem, having started off in this one way, is going to launch in this other direction. Can't rule that out, right? So we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Um, but... Uh, my first impulse is that i don't think that this reading is really very likely uh because and i think i agree um i think i agree that uh who was uh somebody was talking about this um yeah blood the inspirer um The uh, danger to Middle-earth is so pressing that Bilbo's future tense here is quite hopeful. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. There is... um, Although, again, like, for a moment when winter comes without a spring can sound really ominous, right? I mean, to sit and think about how the world will be when winter comes without a spring sounds pretty gloomy, right? But, um, But then... He brings in his own mortality, and that makes it cheerful, right? I agree. I'm kind of joking there. I'm kind of teasing you, but but I don't. I, I'm. I but I'm serious. Like it actually. I, I agree. Like it really does. Um, there's a kind of paradoxical effect. You wouldn't think. That bringing in his own personal death and mortality would make it cheerful. But it, it kind of actually does, right? Um, and it does because, back to what we were observing before, it puts the spring in the same context of the summers and the autumns, right? The spring will still be. The spring will still be. He won't see it, right? But it will still be, just as the summers that have been and the autumns that there were, right? There are the springs that shall be. Um, even though he's not going to be there, right? Um, so, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that he kind of turns it around there. What I'm going to be interested to see is, um, as we move forward, is there anything else that would seem to justify that kind of overlay? Is there, is there a level on which Bilbo here is also thinking, not just about himself, and the world, and the world without him, and the, you know, but um, is there a way in which this song is informed by the occasion? It's an occasional song, right? I mean, he started singing this song to stop himself crying when he's saying goodbye to Frodo, right? So, um, and when he was thinking about not needing his mithril coat or his sword anymore, right? As we talked about low these many weeks ago now. Um, and, uh, yeah, now, oh, Drosnik, I think that's a great point. Um, the fact that he's considering this at all shows how far Bilbo has come from the influence of the Ring. Um, yes, yes, the fact that he... The Ring always makes you think more of yourself. I mean, like, you're always the hero in Ring-induced monologues right? um, in, 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 in ring fantasies, um, the ring always makes you think about it first and foremost, but yourself secondarily, right? A close second. Um, most importantly, you and the ring together, right? Um, and what you can accomplish together. Um, and we see Bilbo going in a very different direction from that, right? Um, in, uh, in all three, of these stanzas, um, the way in which he, as speaker, as perceiver, right, is very much in the background, and the emphasis is just on those summers, on those autumns and now on the springs. Here's the other thing that I think um, uh, here's the other thing that I think is very hopeful about this. The winter, he doesn't dwell on that. There's no um, gloomy or even sad or certainly scary or threatening associations with winter. It's very um, simple, right? When winter comes without a spring that I shall ever see. Um, The emphasis is on the spring. And the fact that um, the spring that he shall see will not be there, right? The only thing we learn about the winter is that it's it's the uh, it's the transition to that that unseen by him spring, right? Um, but uh, but we don't get any. He doesn't linger on it at all. I mean, we saw him linger for four lines on the autumn. He doesn't linger even for two words on the winter. Well, the alliteration, maybe. All those Ws. The wind does have an effect, right? The world is a little wintry, right, with all those Ws. Um, but, um, uh, but it's not. Um, but although... The all those W's might make a kind of cold wind that blows through the middle of this stanza, um, it still ends with the much more cheerful S sounds uh, coming back to the beginning. I sit beside the fire and think, um, as we looked at before. Um, now, and I also agree with you, several people were saying another reason to think that he is not thinking about, you know, Sauron winning, Sauron regaining the ring, winning and bringing a permanent shadow in winter to Middle-earth without a spring that anyone will ever see. Um, Another reason to think that he's not going there is how persistent he has been in trying to cheer Frodo up and prevent Frodo thinking such things, right? Um, And that that would seem to be counterproductive, right, for him to go there in his song. Now, um, I agree. I mean, I certainly agree that that has been a pattern, Um, And I agree that it would be like Bilbo, based on what we've seen of Bilbo here, it would be like him not to do that. However, I don't for that reason completely rule it out. And the reason I don't is that it is possible that in this reflective song, he's being honest about doubts and fears. That he doesn't give voice to, normally, right? I I think it's possible that he would do that, um, but again, I'm not I'm not pushing it. I'm not convinced that that reading the uh, the the overlay of uh, the kind of semi-apocalyptic overlay there of the third stanza is really really works. Um, um, <laughs> right, Almeida says he's. Uh, and we do have a person who's trying to keep himself from crying by singing the saddest song ever, <laughs> right? So, yeah, exactly. That kind of honesty uh, is exactly the kind of honesty I'm talking about. Um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, we'll see. We'll we'll see. I will be interested to watch that as we move forward. Um, with that, let us... Uh, no i'm not going to peek ahead i'm not going to peek ahead next week. We will look at stanza four <clears throat> um, as we continue our one stanza per week march through this song and um, I for one feel like I can barely squeeze talking one single about one single stanza into one of these sessions uh, i my this is just such another wonderful example of why exploring the rings is so much fun. Um, exploring the Lord of the Rings is so much fun. I have always kind of liked this poem. You know what I think? I think that I think I've always been afraid of this poem. I think I've always been a coward as regards this poem. Um, whenever I've listened to this poem or read over this poem, it has struck me as very sad. I have never really sat down and thought through this poem in the way that we are thinking about it together over this month, two months that we're going to be talking about the poem. Um, I've never done this before. Um, And I rather suspect I might have been avoiding this poem um, because it is very sad and um, it is Anyway, but I am learning so much, and my esteem for this poem uh, has risen enormously, um, uh, enormously, uh, as we've been discussing. So I cannot wait to discuss the next three stanzas starting next week and of course the suspense is keen what's he going to do in stanza four and what's the relationship between stanza four and stanza three going to be and how is that going to relate to the relationship between stanza one and stanza two and how will what will that departure tell us about the trajectory of the rest of the poem oh my goodness right there's i can't wait so much suspense for next week um and uh and don't forget we're going to talk about um we're going we're to talk about more details about the next steps in making the Exploring the Lord of the Rings web project, this legacy we're going to uh, 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 kind of leave to the world, right? Uh, uh, we'll talk more about that uh, next week, so thank you very much. Uh, uh, we're going to shift to our field trip now. All right. Um, Excellent.
1: Good evening, everyone.
0: Good evening, Valori. Yeah, it's I
1: have a ha- feeling we sing this song the uh, very last uh, episode of Exploring Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah. yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, it's um, very likely. Very likely. <laughs> um,
1: Following
0: up. Yes, I suspect uh, we'll all of us be uh, in our autumns by the t- <laughs> by the time we get to the end of this here.
1: Trying to top Betty White.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: God rest her. All right. Yeah. to raid.
0: Okay, right. We got down to Echadunan. Which is where we're uh-huh. going to meet up.
1: Yep, I believe so.
0: Hey. All right. I' Almire, you got the same uh, same goat in a fuzzy jumper that uh, Grifflet got. That's cool.
1: Yeah. I do like fuzzy jumpers on goats.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll, Almarea Grifflet on my uh, Lotro stream has been uh, going back and forth between uh, having that uh, uh, little uh, kid in the Christmas jumper following him around and riding the Jingle Bells goat. So Ah, yes. It's all about the Yuletide goats for Grifflet last month. So
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do we need to worry about exploring the Lord of the Rings outlasting Lotro? Um, well, you know, I'm not gonna. uh, Who would have guessed that Lotro would still be around now? And since it is, why is there any reason to think it's going to end at any time soon? However, uh, it is a little hard to imagine any MMO continuing for quite as many years as we're likely to continue doing. But um, but hey, I I I as I say, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna bet against it. I would love to see it.
1: You never know. Yep. Lions has said that they have probably another 15 years of stories to tell.
0: Easily. Easily. Bet they could do more than that.
1: Yeah. All of my kids will be in their 20s then.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's true, Nancy. EverQuest is still running, so who knows? Who knows? Yep, yep,
1: yep. And run by the same parent company as Standing Zone. There you go. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so we got here last time, but we didn't even look around at all. Um, yeah. Let's, in fact, let's uh, let's uh, let's go back a bit, because we were passing some ruins on the way here, and we I just was I was being kind of goal oriented there at the very end last time, and um, yeah. Hey, well, look at this. I've got a little green dot that's wandered completely out of the frame of my mini map.
1: Yeah, I the, I see there's that like
0: too. a, like a green dot, like three yeah. inches off of my mini map.
1: I think it's also, taking a stable here.
0: <laughs> I was like, "What on earth is that?" Like, I, I, th- I thought it was a star, because it was moving just like that. And I'm like, "Wait, what's that?" Like, yeah, wish. Well, weird. No, okay. All right. Um. Oh, okay. Horseback.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: horseback. yeah I, I might as well get on horseback. a horseback. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bug. I figured it was a bug, but.
1: Or it's, a feature.
0: It's exactly. Um, it's a green sun, Josh the Left. Exactly. Exactly. A green sun, except it's like a green star. I thought it was like Arendelle, you know, uh, up there. With
1: the green Christmas filter on.
0: Exactly. What well,
1: yeah. could be better? Well, speaking of winter, it, it did occur to me, like, you know, Bilbo hasn't mentioned winter yet. And, you know, he wasn't living memory of the fell winter.
0: Yep. Yeah. Which kind yeah. of makes it all the more interesting that because like, that he doesn't like reflect on winters or give any winter imagery, right? Like he could have yeah. like, not only could he have done it, he could have done it in multiple ways, right? He could have yeah. done similarly beautiful. Like he could have like uh, done like uh, you know frost on the uh, you know on the on the the, like, the you know like pine needles or like snow, you know drifts of snow all kinds of snowflakes or all kinds of like all, ki- all, all kinds of things that could have been similar kind of beautiful gorgeous visual imagery like the imagery we were getting for summer and autumn right mm-hmm. he could have done that or he could have done ominous dark winter imagery right like, like his memories the of the fell winter, winter.
1: Seems to bite. yeah <laughs>
0: Exactly right. We could we could have gotten the wild wolves crossing the brandy wine and the you know like so we could have we could have all wild wolves right exactly we could have had more Ws, Um, and yet we don't get any of that right. We get nothing at all about winter, which it just makes it more interesting. There's several ways he could have gone there, and he doesn't go either one of them Mm -hmm. right. Um, Okay, anyway, so I went uh, down here and I stopped here because. we we passed all these ruins on the way, and I'm trying to figure that out. So where we are, we're on the straight road here from Mirabel, right? So if Mirabel is the city of Celebrimbor and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know the 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 jewelsmiths there, um, <laughs> sorry, just laughing because I see the green dot is still on my. Screen when I have the map up, which is even more fun. Um, but, but anyway, look, the green the green dot is in a place on this map where one cannot go. Like it's having a it is having an adventure, Toramartin. Um, yeah. But okay, so we are on the direct path between the headquarters of Celebrimbor and the Jewel Smiths and Moria, right? Yes. Yeah. So, this would have been a significant road. We were talking about some of the other roads and how they're, you know, can, it, w- this is all clearly built during the party elf period, right? Um, that celebratory period of time when the Noldor thought that evil had disappeared from the world. Um, and so, we're looking at these various festive and wholly undefensible, uh, uh, you know, little cities and uh, amusement parks that they've been building. Um, and we can see the the roads that are meandering up both across the Redhorn Pass, right? So you can go to uh, tra Lollyland um, on the you know <laughs> as a stopping place uh, when you're crossing over. You know, it's a, a very natural place to stop for a week uh, when you're or you know a decade if you're you know Nola or whatever. Um, yeah. When you're going from Lorien up to Rivendell or whatever. Um, Redhorn. Yep. But. Here, we, we're on a different road, right? A different purpose. Because we know that there was a lot of backing and forthing, right? A lot of traffic between the uh, Calabrimbor, they're the working center of Eregion, where elves actually lived and worked, um, and Moria. So the ruins that we get along the way um, would... Um, Need to be sort of remembered in this context, right? So, yes, I want to. I want to see if we can. So, so, this is what we're imagining. We're, and of course, we also have to imagine like a lovely bubbling stream down here,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: right, which is no longer happening right now. Now, this tower top that's lying at the bottom of the non-river here. Yeah. Um, I don't. That came from the other bank over there, right? We've got some other stuff down there. We'll have to explore over there, too, at some point. Yeah,
1: thanks. think so.
0: But um, it looks like a, from here, that one, that ruin right there, look, look, looks like a water tower standing on the top of that hill, which I, I presume is not, in fact, the function. But, um, but anyway, so this tower probably tumbled down from over there. So we'll have to think about that in the context, I think, of the far bank. I don't see any tower over here from which that would have fallen. Um, But, um, anyway, okay, so we, we're riding along, we're going to visit our dwarf friends and allies in Moria, and yep. we're riding along the river. What do we get over here? Okay, we got Looking Elf, we talked about mm-hmm. him. Okay, here's our first little construction on the right-hand side here. Yep. It's a part of a wall. It's like a little gate here. Yeah. What does this suggest? There couldn't have been a wall. They wouldn't have walled off the river, right? Mm,
1: Unless it was like a windbreak or something.
0: Maybe? Trying to decide if I can tell which side of this ruin was the inside and which the outside, because they kind of look identical.
1: Yeah, and there's ruins on the other side, so maybe there was a bridge here that doesn't exist anymore.
0: Oh, a bridge. That's an interesting idea. Well, and we get this other one up here, right? Yeah. Another bit of wall with another gate ish door in it. And this one with a, a, an, arch. an arch. Yeah, arch.
1: Probably went over the road.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely an arch over the road. So. I don't know where it would have went, over to here maybe. Totally gone now, but 5,000 years, so very plausible. Anyway, okay, so we yeah. would have been over here. So we would have had like, um, like an Arc de Triomphe kind of thing going on here, right? Yeah, or like a like, well, fat arch property. over the road. Right.
1: Yeah, these might have just been dwellings, and whatever the dwellings were made out of rotted away long ago.
0: Maybe. We haven't seen much that looks like a dwelling though. I, I need to be convinced before I think dwelling. It's well, I mean it's possible. It's possible. But the arch does the that, that curve there does suggest that this arched across. Right. So I'm thinking fancy so it's possible, of course. Yeah. In fact, look, the more the more we the more now that I come back well It
1: is similar, but not the same.
0: It's not the same. This one has the rounded end. Is it rounded? Mm -hmm. Looks kind of rounded. No, it's not. It's not. Down here, it's square. At the bottom, it's squared off. Yeah. It doesn't get... Yeah, okay. So, I think it might be... What I'm trying to figure out is, does this side of it down here suggest that there was another arch? We uh, just don't even arc. get the, you know, the bending part at all here. Yeah. Um, but I think it's possible. I think that both of these were arches, series of arches across the road. This seems yeah. to me very plausible.
1: Yeah, the damage, right, so, the damage here is, uh, indicates this is not a, a, a made sloping window here. Mm-hmm.
0: hmm um, yeah. Okay, so here we're riding up towards Moria, or they're riding out towards us, right? Uh, You know, The dwarves are riding out towards us here, and and we're doing this from the Elves' perspective. And we're riding through this series of triumphal Noldoran arches with all of the nice uh, filigree work and stuff. Okay, so we have two arches.
1: Probably wanting to keep off the sun. Maybe. Maybe. I think it's just to
0: look impressive. You know, yeah. I think it's. I'm not sure Eldor, it's very practical yeah. at all. I think yeah, it's all. Yeah. I think Eldor. it's all show. Well, especially since like it's not just Noldor. It's like Noldor flex, right? Because there's got to be some level of like, at least friendly rivalry with the dwarves, like between the Noldor <laughs> yeah, and the dwarves. Right.
1: They're They're going to be marching out this way to visit the.
0: Exactly, the dwarves are going to see this, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. So this is like the O'Hare airport with all the light. <laughs> yeah. And the installations exactly. And the light shows and everything. Exactly. How awesome we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly.
1: Chicagoans don't care.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So, so then what's this business over here? We've got this stumpy thing, which is interesting. It's got the Anyhow? blue inlay stone, which we've seen, on the inside, like it's a big old window frame or something.
1: Yeah, it looks like a window frame or a door frame. Yeah. It a door frame if there were stairs that are missing.
0: It's and possible. The,
1: the fact that these ruins are so sparse do indicate, like, there were some... There had to have been more, and it was out of, like, wood or, or something portable or, like like... Right. It it does make you wonder where did everyone sleep? Where are the where are the kitchens? Where are the apartments?
0: Yeah, you know, but it wouldn't surprise me if that stuff, especially sleeping quarters, were more ephemeral. You know,
1: for the Noldor. You mean al fresco?
0: Well, yeah, that too. I mean, like basically, like they didn't build like huge marble bedrooms. You know, they just kind of laid out under the stars. You know, or oh, like,
1: any, like the wandering party. Uh, glamping, right. yeah. Glamping,
0: right exactly. Noldor I mean yeah. when Noldor... I mean, when the Noldor camp, they're always glamping. Right. I mean yeah. there's there's like that's kind of by definition, right? Um yeah. yeah, so I think I I mean I think that all of these places have been glamping sites for for the Noldor. Um and it would make all kinds of sense, unless it's on the hell that that's true Oof. that's true trifle that's an important qualification of course yeah, to that's me.
1: more Bear girls camping man.
0: yeah yeah exactly um um but um but yeah and amethorn I agree I mean there could easily have been enormous I mean we've certainly seen places where they're what is clearly missing is enormous, right? And it's been five thousand years. We're talking about five thousand years here, so mm-hmm. there's all kinds of opportunity for, you know, a crumble and decay and, um, uh, folks carrying away. But, I mean, yeah, like, the, like the the, the dwarves lived like here for ancient. a lot longer.
1: Yeah, that's that's like like runes in like Crete. Yes, yeah, age exactly,
0: exactly. Yeah. Okay, so. All right, we've got a couple things over here that I'm trying to sort out. So we got this little patch of wall, um, which is could have been part of. In fact, let's see that particular filigree work. Doesn't that look like? Yes, it does. Look at that top story there. Yep. yep. On the yeah, I think I think that this is a piece of the other side. I I don't think that means the arch was way the heck over here. I think that like something has happened. Um, it like tumbled and fell. Maybe it was up here. We had a two level arch yeah. thing going on. I don't know. But um, uh, it might
1: have been am all the glacier activity that we've seen everywhere here, or like all these rocks in the middle
0: here. Yeah, I don't know exactly how it got so far away, but it does look like it's the uh, it's part of one of the other halves of the arches. But this pillar over here, this is a mystery.
1: But it because looks a lot like all the other pillars sticking out of here.
0: It does, it does, um, but it does not seem to be part of the pair, you know, the brace of triumphal arches that we're getting on the road. Um, yeah. Now, From the top, do you think, does do we have evidence of uh, another archway here at all?
1: Uh, if we do, it's been cut off much further up than I thought.
0: Yeah, I don't see it bending in any direction necessarily.
1: Yeah, um, if anything, it reminds me of some of the collections of big pillars yeah. in like Lorien where they like put a put a canopy over it and just have a little, you know, picnic spot underneath it. Yeah, maybe, but you maybe. There was They there were usually in clusters of four though.
0: Right. Oh, uh, Doer Stroke, great question. Why put a gateway door in the road arch, right? Like, you know, that so those, the solid bottoms of those arches that we're seeing have the, mm-hmm. you know, kind of trellis gateway there. Um, my theory there, uh, dollar stroke, is that they didn't, again, they're flexing, right? They didn't want to just do like a a, a St. Louis style arch, right, across the thing, right? They wanted to go kind of more Arc de Triomphe, right? Again, more like a fuller three-dimensional rather than just a, a little band arc, uh, uh, arch across. But they they wanted to make it area, like everything here is. I mean, that's one of the motifs, right? I mean, how many solid walls have we seen? Or rather, how long have we seen a single solid wall um, continuing anywhere in a Regian so far without at least a big old window, if not a big old gateway, right? Yeah, I mean, it's that's... Almost like
1: you're, it's, it's almost like nature is the picture and they're just creating frames for
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the beauty, like, they don't want to As you're going through the arch, they don't want you to like suddenly be in even even a brief tunnel, right? Um, Where you can't see. They want you to be able to look through and see the river, right? But instead, exactly as you're suggesting, Valori, instead of for a time, even if it's only, you know, half a dozen steps or something, they don't want to block out the view of the river. They want to provide a new frame for the view of the river, right? So, yeah, anyway, that's, um, that would be my answer to why I put a gateway in there, um, for aesthetics, which is like often the answer with the Noldor. But this pillar now, from here, this looks like another pillar, but it's not, it's a wall fragment. Yes. And this just looks to me both in its thickness, I mean, look at the way it angles out there at the bottom. Right?
1: Yeah, and the blue stone on the inside.
0: And the blue stone on the inside. This looks like part of a much larger building.
1: Yes, with the window and the filigree missing.
0: Yeah. So if we have two triumphal arches that are, you know, just focused on the road, right? Like on the approach there. Um,. these two things, the pillar over there and this fragment of wall here would seem to be other buildings clearly off the road, right? Um, and then there's so little left, it's hard to tell what it was. I mean, of course, we can see the ruins on the hilltop just past it, right? Yeah, um, or
1: those arches windows. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I have to... um. I have to say that one of the things about Locho that always kind of perplexes me when we're doing our like archeo gaming thing is that I never know for sure exactly how I'm supposed to take the scale. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like,
1: I almost feel like ch- in chunks.
0: Right. Well, I guess my question like is. Am I supposed to be employing... Am I Am I su- supposed to sort of suspend disbelief, right? Am I supposed to... Like, w- w- like the vista that we're seeing right here, right? I'm standing next to this ruin, and right up ahead, clearly in view, looking like it's a couple hundred yards away, right, are these ruins up on the top of that hill. But of course, mm-hmm. knowing the actual distances on the map and everything, um, you know, I mean, I don't think that we're really in one sense really meant to believe that Rivendell is a... I mean, how long does it take to actually ride from Bree to Rivendell in the game? Any, a few minutes, right?
1: Five know, minutes? An hour. Something uh, like that?
0: Minutes. Right, oh, maybe? Fifteen? Anyway, it only takes a few minutes, right? To, yeah. uh, a, a comparatively few minutes uh, yeah. to ride from Bree to Rivendell. And yet we know from the book, you know, Aragorn says it's a twelve-day um, now. On foot, still, but but anyway, I mean, it's we, we we know. I mean, there's no secret about the fact that they've compressed the distances. We all know this, like we all. It's and it's fine. It's it's one of the necessary things. It is a piece of realism nobody really would want in the game. Um, it takes long enough to travel around without adding that branch of realism. Um, but again, as I say, I'm 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 never quite sure how to take it, right? Um, yeah. I. I'm always willing to... like In my own head, I'm always kind of suspending disbelief, right? Like, I know that in-game, my character actually just rode his horse for five minutes, um, but in my mind, I'm kind of like imagining that it took, you know, three weeks to travel that distance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, But, um... But... Yeah. Um
1: yeah it's like when so I'm in, traveling from place to place, I think of it at like uh almost like a travel montage
0: right exactly exactly that's exactly okay. the kind of uh the kind of like it's not even exactly suspension of disbelief it's it's like a, an active addition uh, like it's in, like an imaginative overlay almost oh, it's like, an that you're the in some
1: cases too I well, think sure, I
0: mean, it. there's no case about there's no, there's no question about that absolutely um but um anyway my point is when I'm standing here looking at ruins off in the distance, am I supposed to be imagining this in the, in the in game scale? So that building that we're seeing in the distance is that building meant to be understood to be like a couple hundred yards off the road or is that meant, are we supposed to like imagine that that's five miles off the road? Do you see what I mean?
1: Oof. Yeah, it's too much math for my brain.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, again, we'd have to, like, in order to figure it out, we'd have to do math. I'm just trying to figure out... Yeah. This thing, clearly. Yeah. I mean, it's right here. The road is right here. Yeah. Right?
1: yeah, it's right here. The road's here. It's probably a day's journey from here to Mirabelle. Mir- Mir- Mar- right. Exa-
0: right. Right, um, right. Yeah, to Mirabelle. Um, uh, yes. So there I, over that longer distance, I definitely like imaginatively project, right mm,
1: yeah.
0: um, I don't imaginatively project this distance right here, from the road to here. like this this right. is clearly a building that was that I'm supposed to imagine was right near the road.:
1: oh, Yeah.
0: The one at the top of that hill up there, I'm a little bit less sure about how uh-huh. far I'm supposed to yeah. imagine that being away.
1: I just pretend it's my Elphize, I guess.
0: Right. That's another good way to think about it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway.
1: You just pretend you don't see it and say, Valori, what do your Elphize see? And I'll be like, stop making racial assumptions.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Um, I like the Elphize thing. Okay. <laughs> but if we're imagining there's a building here, there's a building along the road... And it just strikes me on no other road, as we've ridden around Oregon, have we seen so many scattered ruins hither and yon? Right, yeah. like we got that we got our our our, you know our our truck stop, and, you know other, party centers. But there was stretches of just blank wilderness in between them. Here we're getting not only those tri- those you know, the triumphal decorative arches there and there. We're also getting two separate structures near the road. Now, that pillar may or may not have been part of a building. Maybe it was some kind of external pavilion kind of structure, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it was part of a, like, gazebo-esque structure. Um, You know, an outdoor picnic rest area along the road. Um, Another way
1: station long since gone
0: way yeah this one seems like a more major building and so maybe it's a, a little like an older and hostile right yeah, it's um a thick
1: wall.
0: it is a pretty but thick wall ca- i think
1: you gotta count for stables and watering as well
0: possibly yeah yeah maybe some kind of maybe some kind of lodging along the way they've just emerged from the you know the dwarvish part right they've crossed the boundary into the elf portion right um outside. It's hard for me not to view the the gate, which is the boundary to Moria, like, in-game, in right? I mean, the very significant pass through the gate and enter into the new game area, which was released, you know, with the Moria expansion. Um, hard for me not to see that as a really significant uh, boundary, but it seems to function that way here in the game. So... Yeah... But, I, but it, it makes sense when we think about the function of this road, right? This is a road designed for travel and not just for travel. I mean, all roads were designed for travel. What else are they for? Um, but not just for the travel of the Noldor, um, but for travel of the dwarves as well, right? This is like a guest road in yeah. ways that I am not sure that the Redhorn Pass road or the road, you know, the north-south road that, you know, the one that ends up at... Gwingris, um, necessarily yeah. were. And yeah, here we, we have actually another arch, right? Clearly a third arch here. Yeah. We see no evidence of this, side yeah. Of VIP,
1: its... nice and level. Lo- oh, you know, like this grade would have been the levelest grade of roads ever because you have to impress those guys.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the, the, the road itself would have been good. And here we have a tower, yeah. right? There was a tower along the road. Um, There's maybe this was a funk. It's tolerable. it's tolerable, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the dwarves and the Noldor would clearly have had a relationship of mutual respect there. All right. Well, yeah. it's getting late. Um, we almost yeah. made it back to the town here, but that's okay. We'll we'll finish looking at the the final approach here, or rather, the beginning of the approach coming out from with the dwarves, um, and then we'll go back in the context of this what we've seen on the road here. And look at the town or whatever it is, um, up there. We will see if we can try to figure out in this context what the function of that cluster of buildings and stuff up there was. All right, very good. Well, I won't. Um, I won't keep everybody all night here tonight. Um, but this was. Uh, I, I think we made some progress here. I'm definitely. Yeah. I have a. I have a much clearer imaginative framework for uh, what we're seeing. Uh, here as we go back into Echad Dunan next time. So, all right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you guys next week as we continue on the road to Moria here in southern Eregion. Um Thanks, everybody. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye
1: now. Good night.